Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. Hi, it's Catherine, and welcome to episode 49 of the Circular Economy podcast. I'm recording this on the 18th of March 2021, and we're getting excited about the prospect of picking wild garlic in the next few weeks. However, we're still in lockdown in the UK, so we won't be sharing wild garlic pesto with friends at our kitchen table. Those of you who get our Circular Insights emails will have seen that we've published a podcast index. Maybe you've been looking for an episode on a specific sector or for a particular circular economy strategy. The index page has an interactive spreadsheet, so you can sort, filter and search for the episodes you need. There's also a link to the relevant episode page on our website, which has a player, show notes, the links we mentioned and a transcript. You can find the index page link at circulareconomypodcast.com or on the main website at rethinkglobal.info. In today's episode, I'm talking to Ryan Edwards of Naked Innovations. While working for Cargill, the agri-food company, Ryan noticed how the quality of innovation was affected by the diversity of people's backgrounds and thinking. He tells us about some of the systemic issues that companies face in trying to innovate, and how in many large organisations people end up working in silos. What's more, they often focus on the innovation or the technology itself, rather than what the world and their customer actually needs. Ryan explains how Naked Innovations combines human-centred design and circular design to work on solutions that understand the needs of people and our planet. Ryan talks us through a major project at the French food manufacturer Danone, where Naked Innovations brought a wide range of people together to co-create solutions, avoiding the restrictive thinking that can happen when teams operate in silos. Ryan also tells us how, after working with over 200 startups over the last few years, it's become clear that startups also fail because they're too focused on the technology and following the latest trend. Naked Innovations is helping solve this through a program called TeamUp, matching startup founders to people with specific business expertise to build a solid foundation for the business. So let's talk to Ryan. Ryan Edwards is co-founder of Naked Innovations, which he describes as an eclectic mix of entrepreneurial, co-creators, fresh thinkers, disruptors, shakers and provocateurs who create and connect agri-food ecosystems to realign the planet, business and people. Ryan is passionate about transforming and innovating the agri-food industry by developing successful businesses, communities and teams. His background includes over 15 years international leadership experience at Cargill as European Marketing and Innovation Leader and as Managing Director of All Food Experts. 
Ryan, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great to um, to see you again. And where are you talking to us from today? I'm actually in Tenerife. Uh, I've been living in Barcelona the last ten years. I'm I'm British, but <laughs> so not got the Spanish accent. But uh, yeah, I decided to spend a few months in Tenerife, enjoying the uh, bit of sunshine um, before going back to Barcelona. Good stuff. Well, sunshine sounds sounds good because I'm looking out at four or five inches of of snow. This is about our third wow. or f- fourth <laughs> snowfall of the of the year. I'm just I'm wearing flip flops most of the time. <laughs> That's a complete <laughs> contrast then. Good stuff. So Ryan, I'm curious to know more about your how your background in marketing, teaching English, and then at Cargill led to you wanting to make an impact on agri food. Yeah. Okay. That's quite a journey. Um, yeah, the teaching English was was basically an opportunity to go to Thailand on what I thought would be a paid holiday. But but during my time there, I saw many things uh, in in parts of Thailand, very a lot of poverty, where you see all sorts of. This is 15, 17 years ago of plastics washing up on the beach, sad things like that. Um, and and also the the other thing that I I learned when I was over there teaching English was the the diversity of being in a big place like uh, Bangkok, where I was based, and, and bringing together all these different international citizens. Um, so I think that began me already thinking about, okay, it's inter- I like this experience of being around people from all over the world. Um, but I also saw the impact of, you know, the Western diet, shall we say. You know, you saw it would be McDonald's, cartoons, Coca-Cola bottles, all this sort of thing, and how it was transforming uh, their beaches, but also their citizens, uh, and how their the parents would be seem super healthy and slim, and the kids I was teaching already actually um, some of them were obese. Um, so that was kind of made me start thinking uh, about the food industry and and how this is impacting people. So then I went into when I left Thailand, I went back to the UK. I joined a company called Cargill, which is one of the biggest agricultural uh, food companies in the world. Um, and and I basically went in there in marketing and innovation over over a ten year period, um, and again I was running um, a diverse department across Europe across uh, seventeen countries, and that diversity showed me all the different perspectives of people to solve uh, common challenges. So that's something that that was a real insight for me of of bringing together different people and bringing their perspectives um, gave insights. To, to drive true innovation. Um, and I think what really got me interested in, in trying to tackle issues around sustainability in, in agri-food was Cargill, as I said, one of the biggest food companies, but even they alone couldn't change the complex supply chains that they that they are involved in, whether it's soya beans uh, coming out of the of Brazil and, and some of the destruction of the Amazon there, whether it was the the palm oil that was being harvested out of out of Borneo, and again some of the the deforestation happens there that, that I guess a lot of the audience are familiar with, and and them wanting to make a change, but the difficulties with if how complex those supply chains are, um, and, and in my ten years there, seeing that and being more infused about making a change, but also frustrated by how slow it was um, and how small a part I was playing in it, I think was driving me to try and find other ways of taking action. So this definitely built my interest in the area and my my 
expertise in the area, but I was starting to feel like I need to make a more of an impact than I am. Mm. And it's it's quite disheartening in a way, isn't it, to, to hear that even companies the size of Cargill struggle to make changes mm-hmm. in their supply chain, presumably because of you know the sheer complexity of it and the lack of transparency and and kind of um you know subcontracting that you don't necessarily know about and comparing exactly. that with um you know smes um who don't have any kind of um power to their elbow to force their suppliers to give them information and don't have the budgets to go out and um you know just visit suppliers not that we can do that at the moment um, but visit yeah, unannounced and, and make sure that things are happening the way that you have been told they are. Um, exactly. So- I mean, a lot, a lot of it was so entrenched, you know, business had been, the business was very successful, very profitable and had been running that way for over a hundred years. I mean, the company is 150 years old um, and having a lot of success, but it was becoming clearer that more and more consumers were taking sustainability is a topic more seriously environmental sustainability and talking more and more about traceability where does my food come from what's really mm-hmm. in it we saw a few of those food food scandals as well around you know the horse meat in 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 europe and the uh, the baby milk formulation in china mm-hmm. so it's becoming not uh, something that people are becoming more aware of and I, I saw the journey there where it started very much being a csr corporate social responsibility angle of trying to find good stories and over time, it became more central to business. We And there was a realization of actually doing good, um, creating traceable supply chains that we can prove are sustainable, can grow a margin. And this is this was a capitalist society, uh, company, so it was about building profits. So when we started proving that, we saw more and more projects and innovation happening in that area. But even then, it was a small percentage of, of what was happening overall, uh, and it took a long time. Mm. And I think there's there's quite a few recent research studies showing now that people expect businesses to be doing the right thing. Right. Um, it's not that they've suddenly switched on to that. I think yeah. it's that the, the stories are coming out and people are shocked. Um, you know, and the same thing happened during the, the, the pandemic and the lockdown with companies cancelling contracts um, with overseas suppliers, particularly fashion companies, and their customers mm. were shocked that, you know, this that this could happen. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's sort of the scales have fallen from people's eyes, really, about um, things that they'd taken for granted that, that they now realise they couldn't have taken for granted and, you know, that um, brands aren't necessarily to be, to be um, trusted um and and brands are realizing that and realizing how easy it is to lose your reputation and how expensive it is to rebuild that um you know it's been undermined exactly that catherine and and i think it's interesting the organizations like cargill they call them abcds right the adm bungie cargill Mm. uh louis dreyfus who are kind of behind the scenes in these supply chains so a lot of the push for more sustainable transparent supply chains came from that were their customers like Unilever. Unilever was a great example. We worked very closely with them. And at the time, Paul Polman was the CEO and, and he was not just talking, he was walking, he was taking the action and he was pushing because the owners of the supply chain are the cargoes and the other companies I mentioned. So he was very much reliant upon the actions of 
how does Cargill behave in that supply chain? And, and it was his push, his drive, which forced us, I would say, um, to make a change. And, and he was willing to invest and say he realized that consumers weren't really willing to pay more at this stage. We looked at fair trade, but the real behavior, there was only a small percentage of consumers were buying fair trade. So we want to make sustainable supply chains. It was actually an investment by Unilever because Cargill had to invest and Unilever were willing to pay a bit of extra money per ton to secure sustainable supply chains. Um, but they were trying then not to pass on that cost uh, and increase prices in their products. So it's actually an investment by them. But their, their bet was that, as you just said, consumers would actually increase the market share for Unilever by moving to their products. They might not in- pay. So that the way they wanted to win was increase market share rather than increase yeah. price. And I think it's a very smart move that's being proved out now with Unilever's uh, continued growth uh, in these spaces and taking a real leadership. Yeah, uh, but well, it, it's, been, it's been a long journey. Mm, yeah, and I think you know, it, with companies the size of uh, for Unilever and Cargill and so on, it's it's going to be a long journey, isn't it? But the impact that they can have and the um, the lessons learned and and hopefully um, you know some of them will make um, their supply chain information open sourced and allow um, other companies to know which mm-hmm. um, you know palm oil farmers or whatever are are. Um, are to be trusted and, and aren't um, deforesting to, to plant more crops and, and things okay. like that. And so, Ryan, um, you said when you when you talked about um, joining Cargill and also your experience in Thailand, um, that um, you became really interested in using different perspectives and diversity to solve uh, common challenges and drive innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so can you can you unpack that a bit more for us? Because it sounds like that's central. And maybe you can at the same time mm-hmm. tell us a bit more about what Naked Innovations um, does, because I guess all that ties yeah. together. It does. That, that's been my journey, actually. Um, so there was a real discovery I felt for myself in Cargo that it's a very supportive organization. It has a great uh, work environment and you can you can connect to people all over the world, real experts within the company. Um and, and again, I saw all bringing together all these, all these different expertise rather than having them working in silos. So when I took over the innovation department, it was very much working in silos um, on pet projects, you know, trying to develop tech, whatever. Um, and they weren't taking it to market. There wasn't an understanding of what the demand actually was. Supply and demand were not connected. Um, so we tried to re-envision that and we use use something called design thinking or human-centered design approach. Um, so let's stop focusing on the technology solutions. Let's understand what the demand, what the consumer, what the end user wants. And on that journey, we realized, yeah, bringing in fresh perspectives of, of different stakeholders and understanding their needs was, um, was key. And we managed, when I took over the innovation portfolio there, a typical project would take up to three years to work its way through before either either went to market or was finally killed. It should have either been stopped a lot earlier or brought to market earlier and tested, um, which is what we ended up doing. So we we drove that down to less than a year um, and we did less projects, but bigger, more impactful projects uh, by and making sure that we attached that work to the user. What does our customers actually want from us? What are their customers or their consumers demanding and bringing light into that um, into that story. So really then when I when I decided that it was time to leave Cargill because I wanted to make a big impact uh, my way, if you like, rather than the constraints of being in a corporate and being able to work 
with other stakeholders in the supply chain, I joined an organization, well, I led an organization of startup called All Food Experts, which was an open innovation platform. And we bring together 10,000 different food scientists, R&D people, technologists around the world to try and solve some of the big food challenges um, using this, this platform. Um, again, that was a massive learning of the power of, of diversity and fresh perspective to try and solve these, these big challenges. But it was very much broad. It was some really technical challenges around stabilizers in a drink or changing the taste profile to reduce sugar uh, reliance in, in another uh, beverage. Um, and again, I wanted to think bigger. I was like, there's some really big challenges out there about how we make food healthier for people and for planet. And I was seeing a disconnect there. I was seeing that often companies were trying to either make the food more nutritious if they could, healthier or less bad, or they were trying to make it more sustainable through maybe better packaging or, or less destructive in the supply chains, but not the two together. Um, so about three and a half years ago, we created Naked Innovation. So the leadership team from All Food Experts decided to, to refocus on this healthy planet, healthy people aspect um and and we sort of uh took design thinking which is human-centered design as i said and take circular design also known as kind of planet design which is more recent and actually put them together and say you know what we want to focus on projects that are um understanding the needs of both planet and people um because often if you're designing for people you'll end up designing something in the food industry that is cheap uh, that tastes good and is really convenient. And often those three things are not uh, in alignment with what the planet's needs are and the resources are. Um, if you design something just focused on the planet, we found that often the sustainability departments of companies will are very idealistic um, and the product they make often is not a hit on the supermarket shelves and, and they don't get the market share that you'd like them to have. So we really realized that there was a, a gap there and that's where we we've really focused and what we do is we try to always start with the challenge so often our clients come to us and say hey we've got this really cool solution this new technology that we want to take to market can you help us we always push them to say let's take a step back why are you building this technology why do you think there's a, a solution needed what's really the challenge you're trying to solve um and then we'll explore the options when we understand what that challenge is. And then we bring together the right diverse stakeholders to try and solve it. Uh, so it's much more likely to be successful and adopted uh, in the market. Mm. So can you yeah. give us a couple of examples of, of the kind of projects, um, you know, obviously not naming names if, if they're still under wraps, but give us a feel yeah. for the kind of things that, you, that you've been involved in. Um, yeah, the most recent one is, uh, I, can, I can mention the name, is Danone, who are another fantastic company in terms of uh, trying to be better for people and planet. Uh, they've become a B Corporation recently, which we love. For us, we, we want to work with B Corps more and more. Um, hopefully your audience know about that, or if they don't, I, I encourage them to go and check out what a B Corporation is. Um, so Danone, or, or here in Spain, they say Danone, the guys that make those amazing yogurts and all those other cool things. Um, mostly dairy-based, are going for their own transformation. Um, so one of the things we did with them last year was we did something called a, a kind of long-term hackathon, also known as a challenge lab. So we took one of their products, their biggest selling product, um, uh, the 
uh, plain dairy yogurt. And uh, there's lots lots of alternative pro, uh, dairy t- uh, products out there now, we said, but we're not talking alternative, we're looking at the dairy yogurt. And how do you make the dairy yogurt more circular? Um, and, and looking at things like regenerative agriculture, uh, a more holistic approach, uh, better packaging. Um, so building consumer, uh, changing consumer behaviors around the, the consumption of those yogurts and how they, how, what they do with them afterwards, the, the packaging and so on. So what we did was we created, a, we brought together 40, I think it was 40, 45 um, diverse stakeholders across that supply chain from Europe. We brought them together for three weeks with, I think, five Danone uh, experts as well who could uh, validate the ideas, who could um, who could be a resource, a sounding board for these 45 people who are volunteers, right? People who are who care about purpose and making an impact, care about healthy planet, healthy people, and the opportunity to work with an organization like Danone. And Danone were amazing in just opening their doors and saying, these are all the things we've researched. These are all the challenges we see. This is where we need help. Very humble. Um, and we basically created a program, a lot of fun, a lot of energetic, all online, of course, where we really deep dived into those challenges with the 45 people. We ended up creating uh, 10 teams of people, but it wasn't so much a competition. It was very much about them collaborating with one another. So we saw in that, in that uh, three-week period, some of those teams um, actually merging and becoming one team. Uh, because they saw their their ideas and their possible solutions were complementary. So we took them on a journey of what we call this planet and people design methodology that we have, um, where they really yeah, looked at all those challenges, decided where they wanted to focus, did the research of, of uh, the end user to known to target clients, um, and created uh, some prototypes. And at the end, Danone selected uh, three, I think it was of them, maybe it's four, um, of these teams and their projects to actually explore and take forward right now. So they're now in the next stage where these these people are now, uh, these volunteers are now being uh, uh, put in front of the known uh, senior global leadership team uh, and put into some of their innovation programs. This was done in collaboration with, an, with one of our clients called EIT Food as well. Uh, this whole challenge lab was kind of their, their, their the sponsors behind it. Um, so, yeah, this was one example of bringing together, as I said, very diverse stakeholders who are mission aligned on a specific challenge about making uh, Danone's plain dairy yogurt circular and uh, approaching it from completely different perspectives that Danone had never considered before um, to put in place three very strong proposals uh, that Danone are now working working on. Uh, so that's there's one example of, of what we do. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like a, a major project, trying to coordinate all of that, find find suitable volunteers um, and, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, corral them towards um, solutions that, that fitted the brief. Um, yeah, just on that, just uh, a thing to add, I mean, that was what we were most impressed with, is these 45 people all have full-time jobs. So when we designed the three-week programme, we had to do it after 7 p.m. each day. And we were finding these, and we were asking them to stay for an hour and a half maybe. And often these people were joining us until 10 p.m., you know, and, and we said to them, you guys can leave now. But no, they would continue for another hour. There was a real spirit and passion. I think that's really exciting for, for us and your community, Catherine, to, to know that there are great 
experts out there who are willing to dedicate their expertise and their time mm. if they're given the opportunity uh, on a real challenge like this. And, and that's really valuable for Danone and they're very forward thinking to realize that. Um, we've tried to work with some other organizations who have been more protective and it's not quite worked the same way. So it's all about signing NDAs up front, uh, trying to own the ideas. And, and that less collaborative approach has not led to the same enthusiasm and the same results, um, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. And as you said earlier on, um, you know, that diversity of, of backgrounds and views and so on is what can really drive and spark um, innovative ideas. Um, I yeah. think I was, I was um, in, in looking for something else yesterday. I noticed a, um, a blog on the World Economic Forum website about the importance of diversity and you know, how it really improves um, the, um, you know, variety of thinking and, and challenging the status quo and so on within companies. And, um, you know, companies are realizing that, that group think is, is not really going to get you anywhere. It's just going to carry on sending the super tanker in the same, same, um, same direction. Exactly. I'm just going to show one of the quick example, if that's okay, because it's happening right now. And it's exactly what you just said. So, with EIT Food, the European Institution of Innovation Technology for Food, um, they've done their research and we've done our research. So Naked Innovations, we've worked with over 200 startups in the last couple of years. And it's become clear that reasons why some startups fail is they're too focused on the technology. Uh, they're all trying to work in the same saturated place. So they all follow the latest trend because uh, they want to you know, make money as fast as possible, often. Um, and often their co-founder, the, the person or people that start it, are the owners of the technology. Um, and they end up putting themselves in the kind of CEO position. But, and I'm generalizing, but what we've seen is often they don't have the skill set to commercialize, to take their idea into a real product that people want. So it's what I was talking about before, design thinking, uh, what we've created Planet and People Design of really understanding what's needed and what people want and matching your tech to that. So what we've designed with VIT Food right now, we're building it, I'm really excited to say, is, an, is, is a program called Team Up, where what we're doing is we're starting firstly with the challenges. And one of those big challenges is around circular food uh, systems and, and trying to understand what are the, the specific challenges in there that, that are less sexy. You know, maybe they don't get a quick return, but they need focus. So we start there and we start with co-founder matching. So we find those great experts, technologists, really interesting scientists, R&D people, and match them on day one with great entrepreneurial types. So rather than the technologists typically already trying to develop a tech and then push it into the market, we start by putting those two people together or three people together and making an early stage match. So they, they can grow together. And the whole program is focused on finding the right matches. So it starts with a solid foundation. Um, so it's more of an investment at the start in terms of time and effort uh, so that they've got more chance of scaling in a sustainable way. Um, and we're really excited in this kind of what we call a venture builder. We think this is a really great way to, to try to solve some of these big challenges we have rather than just trying to create as many startups in the ecosystem as possible. Let's be much more thoughtful um, and focused on how we do it. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's bang on. And um, it, you know, in, in one sense, it goes back to, uh, you probably read the book from years ago, the E-Myth book um, that every business needs um, 
an entrepreneur, a technician and a manager. Um, mm-hmm. And you might have sort of na- natural bent towards um, two of those roles, but, you know, they hadn't met anybody who fulfilled all three. And the, and the trick was to recognize what, what your preference was and make sure you were filling, yes. filling the gaps. Exactly. And, um, yeah. and doing it early. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, a lot of startups, particularly um, with the um, circular economy being, you know, new and a bit untested in the minds of funders and so on, um, startups may struggle to even get access to seed funding and things like that and have to bootstrap themselves. Mm. And having having that wider network and the, the different perspectives that they might not have within the company, like the, you know, they might be entrepreneurial, but, um, you know, not good at managing it, or they might, might not see the value of marketing and, yeah. you know, raising the profile is important to secure the funding and so on. And it's kind of trying to bring all the strands together. Exactly. And that collaborative approach. So not only do we create found uh, great co-founder matching in team up, but they're all on the program together. So they all get to learn from, from other peers as well and go through this program. Mm. Um, so yeah, really excited about it. And this year is the first year we're doing it. So. Mm, that's good. Let's see. So um, given your recent experience with Danone, um, and um, I don't know too much about Danone, but you know, in terms of its, um, its ethos in the past, but it's great news mm. that it's now a B Corp. Um, and it's seen the challenges. But um, h- how do you think companies are starting to change mindsets, both within the company and with their shareholders and so on? How, how are they getting people to sign up for this longer term change and focusing on people and planet, not just on the next quarter's results and so on? What's what's the key to that? Yeah, uh, that's the big question. Um, Stakeholder value over shareholder value. Um, It's it's gradual. I I believe that reflecting, people reflecting on the human element, on their own mortality, and that they have children, um, and that they want this planet to still be there for their children, that they have these, especially leaders in these big corporations, they have the power to, to do something about it and and trying to sh- help them see that their responsibilities not just as shareholders but to to the wider stakeholder I think there's clearly a movement there I think here in Europe we should be proud that I, I think we are driving a lot of this movement uh, towards um, focusing on stakeholder value uh, I think the EU uh, is doing a great job through with the new green deal or trying to do a great job and showing leadership in, in the green deal here. Um, to, to put more emphasis and focus on, on this space and, and educate around it as well and, and really invest uh, the resources that are needed to drive this. Um, so I think education is, is a big part of it. Yeah, I think the, the, other, the other thing that's interesting is, is if we can, there's a thing that I talk about, which is doing good is good business. So I come back to the cargo days. Um, at first, when they started doing the CSR type activities. It was about storytelling and image, but quite quickly there was a realization that, wait a minute, if we make ourselves more efficient, you know, reduce water usage, reduce power usage, cut out inefficiencies, we're gonna save money and have a great story to tell. Mm. So this is more profitable in the end as well. And, and so I feel like there's a, there was a whole drive there of, okay, this can be, efficiencies can be more profitable and tell a great story. But as we t- started telling those stories, there was more, there was a, um, 
a, a groundswell from the end consumers, well, we want more of this. Now that you're sharing these stories, you've opened Pandora's box and there's a realization that there's a need to do better. Um, so, and I think we all know with the sharing of social media now and how quickly stories can can spread. And, and you mentioned earlier, you, you if one of these, um, if something bad gets out, you know, Greenpeace gets onto you, it goes viral very quickly uh, and can damage your reputation. And, and when we're talking about damage reputation, it's often the, the big brands, the Nestle's, Unilever's, Coca-Cola's want to protect their brand. That's their, that's their value. So they're putting pressure onto the, the supply chain uh, players like the Cargill's to, to do better in that space. So I feel like there's a realization for many areas uh, from regulatory, from uh, consumers um, and from the corporates that, yeah, doing better um is is good business yeah 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 that's interesting and i think um you know the power of social media really does seem to have been the catalyst um and i was um you know kind of had a, a slide up when i first started talking about sustainability to wider audiences um back in 2011 2012 you know i had a had a slide all about reputational damage and um you know the um, how fast stories can spread on social media and um you know we've we've just seen it happen so many so many times um oh God, yeah. and um you know it really you can you can spend all you like on marketing but if the um if if the story is out there and running then um you know it's out there isn't it oh, definitely so ryan in terms of talking to people who are either looking to go more circular um, and focus on uh, planet and people design, as, as you've suggested, um, or even starting a, a new business and looking to go circular, what would be your top tip? What, what should they have at front of mind? Yeah, um, cool. I think uh, my whole story has been about you don't need to do this alone. Um, there are There's some great expertise out there. Um, so if it's something you want to learn about or get involved in, my suggestion is to reach out, find expertise um, within, because there's, there's many different stakeholders in this space that that um, we need to pull together um, and work on the common challenges together um, so that we get shared ownership and shared uh, action to apply uh, the solutions. So yeah, go out there and find find the experts because they're there and they're more than willing to support. Brilliant. So yeah, find find your own open source innovation network or, or create Definitely. it. And yeah, um, exactly that. <laughs> which of your values, whether that's from a personal or business perspective, mm -hmm. do you think helps us move towards a better world, one that's more sustainable and fairer? Yeah, it, it, the word that comes to mind, I've used it a few times, is, is diversity. But really what I'm talking about there is empowerment. So um I believe we need to listen more effectively and actively to different voices and empower those voices to to speak up and share their concerns and share their ideas. Um, and we do that by making the the people that sit around the table, ensuring they're more diverse and all the different way, all different forms of diversity. Um, but not only for show, but really asking them the pertinent questions and really listening to what how they answer and really then valuing those insights and doing something with it um it's something that i've believed my whole life and i see the power of it when it comes to driving innovation 
And if we're going to design a better world, and I think we can design, we've designed the world we live in. So it's through design that is healthy planet, healthy people. We need to do it for the people, by the people. So yeah, we need more diversity and to empower those people to uh, to share their their insights and and their concerns. Mm, great. Uh, that's that's really interesting and um, probably not something that um, would pop up in in many values lists at, at that kind of level of of um, you know it's not just a word, is it? But it's you know this this is why and and this is the yeah. difference that it can make to your to your business. And Ryan, who would you recommend as a future guest for the programme? Uh, a great question. Is, there's, uh, as I said before, there's a lot of great people out there willing to share. Um, the first person that really comes to mind is, um, he works at Danone, so I've mentioned Danone before, and he's really an activist there around circulars. There's a Dutch gentleman called Merin Dolls, Merin Dolls, um, and he's really shaking them up inside. And I think it's great that Danone are uh, happy to have someone like that inside who who yeah makes them think differently uh gives a an expert and diverse perspective to them uh so yeah i think he speaks very eloquently and very strongly about this subject and he's an expert in this in this space around uh, circular food systems so i'd highly recommend merrin great thank you thank you and how can people get in touch and find out more about you and naked innovations <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn uh, and I'm on there often, so you can always find me there. But for the company, I would say, yeah, go to our website. It's nakedinnovations.eu. Uh, uh, there's also .uk, <laughs> whichever way you want to go in. Uh, and you'll find all the information about us there. Excellent. And I'll put those links in the show notes in case people don't have a, a pen handy. So that's at circulareconomypodcast.com. Great stuff. Well, Ryan, thank you very much for sharing those stories with us. And um, I'm going to be um, keeping an eye on what, what Danone are doing much more closely from, from now on. It sounds like they're doing some really interesting stuff around food and regenerative agriculture. Good luck with the, um, the current projects. They sound really interesting as well. And look forward yeah. to seeing what you and Naked Innovations are, are doing and disrupting in the future. Thank you. Thank you. No, absolutely. The, 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 I'll just give one last plug to team up. If you are a frustrated scientist or technologist and you want to commercialize something great in this space, then have a look for, for team up. And the same if you're an entrepreneur that's looking for a, a co-founder, um, that's the place to go. Okay, right. I'll look that up and put that in the show notes as well. Wonderful. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, Catherine. I was fascinated to hear how Ryan's background led to the work he's doing now. Firstly, teaching English, working in Thailand and noticing the impact of the Western diet and fast food. Then joining the agri-food giant Cargill and realising that even the biggest food companies struggle to change their complex supply chains on their own. Ryan's approach to problem solving at Naked Innovations with a planet and people-centred approach takes advantage of different perspectives to examine both the problem and the potential solutions. It was interesting to learn that the push for more sustainable and transparent supply chains is coming from customers like Unilever and from consumers and citizens. It's encouraging to hear that global companies like Danone are pushing beyond CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, and are now looking to embed circular and planet-centred solutions into their businesses. And it's fascinating to know how open they are to external input and ideas. 
it sounds as though customer feedback is helping companies like Danone to push forward and build the business case for investment and large-scale change. However, I noticed this month that activist investors focused on short-term returns rather than environmental sustainability have managed to push out the CEO at Danone, Emmanuel Faber. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can find the podcast show notes with transcripts and links on rethinkglobal.info. Please let us know what you'd like us to feature on the podcast. And you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. You can get in touch via our website, rethinkglobal.info, or connect with me on LinkedIn. See you next time. <laughs>